connecting to the real nerds is so easy. You can go to our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can like us on Facebook. We have a Twitter account, at Real Nerds. We also have Instagram. You can call us, 720-6Nerds5. You want to email us? You can do that, too, realnerds at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, Real Nerds. This is uh, Zach, and um, I'm calling because we lost a great talent on uh, Sunday. Uh, Gene Wilder passed away. Um, Gene's work means a lot to me. Um, growing up, obviously, with Willy Wonka, but mainly with the producers, um, where he plays Leo Bloom. And um, this is from the 1968 version. And, um, you know, and uh, I read the reasons why he kept his illness a secret, and I'm, I'm really, uh, that just solidifies how great of a man he really was. He was a true talent, uh, a, a fantastic writer, and um, it's kind of hard to not want to cry when you think about it because he brought so much joy and so much laughter to millions of kids and adults uh, across the across the world. And um, so, um, you know, I wanted to say thank you to Gene for um, giving us a world of pure imagination and teaching us to put it on the Ritz. And remember, when somebody asks, are we awake, you respond, we are not sure. Um, thanks again. like a good place to start in a conversation about creativity might be to begin thinking about what it means to us. How do we define creativity? And I'd like to go to you first, Gene. How do you oh. define... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody hates to be first. No, I don't mind being first. I don't like to define things. If you ask me something where I've had some... Exp I'll, I'll tell you what I think of as creativity. Good. Um, I was... Uh, eight or nine years old and my mother had a heart attack and when she came home the doctor said don't ever get into an argument with your mother because you might kill her just a little and pressure the second thing he said was try to make her laugh I had never consciously tried to make anyone laugh in my life, but I did from then on, and I knew I was a success when she peed in her pants. <laughs> no. But it's the, it's the truth. And she's, my name was Jerry then, not Jean, and she said, Jerry, now look what you've made me do. Now, I know this is a roundabout way, but it's... Yeah. It was the beginning of creativity for me. I'll tell you the one other one that was important to me. When I was in first grade, I, there was a lady, I think I still remember her name was Miss Bernard, and everyone had their picture up. They painted little pictures with crayons and were put up on the wall, except mine. <laughs> and I asked her, why can't I have mine? She said, you're not good enough yet. And it just killed me. 
for years and years until 1984. <laughs> you think this is a joke, it's not. I began painting and now I, I try to paint every day of my life. When I'm not writing or working in a film, I paint. But that stupid lady Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic-Con 2017 and beyond. I am Ryan, and with me, only with me tonight, is... James! I don't think it's just been the two of us forever. Yeah, I know, it's been a while, yeah. We've got too many other people coming on the show, so when, Brad, when Brad misses out or we have like scheduling conflicts like we did this week, we're recording this super late for the, for the week, but... I know, it's weird. Well, like, everything, like, just... Like domino, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you had your like fiftieth birthday this week. I did. Um, so you know that threw a kink into things. I totally forgot um, about it too when I like texted. I, like, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's not my birthday, but I did too until like you know two days before, and I was like, oh sh- shit. When I was like, oh, I forgot it was my birthday, and Laura wants to take me out to dinner. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Um, can you say, <laughs> Kelly? Can you say happy birthday yet? Did you learn happy birthday for your dad's birthday? That would have no. been cute. Can you say... Can you say... Party? (laughs) But anyways, what you just heard um, as we came on was Gene Wilder talking about being creative and what gives him creativity. And I I found that little clip, obviously, uh, sad news as Gene Wilder passed away. Yeah. And and I was... You know, everyone's going to play Willy Wonka or something from Blazing Saddles and or stir crazy but we're cooler than everyone else yeah so so. i just wanted i I was just digging for something different and i thought it kind of summed up who he is yeah as he's kind of a he's a really funny guy in a really um mellow way yeah like his humor is very well delivered (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i knew i I did it when i made when she peed herself yeah (laughs) that was really good so it's good you know because i was i was thinking too i I love the scene uh i don't know if you've ever seen stir crazy um, no, I never have. Uh, there's a really funny scene where Richard Pryor is telling Gene Wilder, you have to be bad when you go through prison. And I think it's really funny, but I don't know if it translates well audio-wise because it's them like strutting and like bobbing their head. Yeah. And it's really funny because they're supposed to be hardcore and these guys obviously aren't. Is it a scene where they're like r- running around like destroying a cell or something like that? Uh, it's before they do that. So they're like okay. walking down um, a cell block. Because I heard a funny story in an interview where, where he was on uh, – it's when he's on Conan uh, – Conan – He's on Conan. This is the last uh, like late night show mm-hmm. that he did, uh, and he talked about how well the two of them clicked, and that they were doing that scene, and they both started like humming the same tune at the exact same time, really? without wasn't wasn't rehearsed, like wasn't intentional, um, and it was just like the two of them clicked at least on set really really well. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a fascinating. Well, I don't know movie. how many movies they did together, but they did a few. Yeah, so it's good. You know, he kind of. Um, there is a great clip from Larry King that I watched too, where he talks about that he loves to act, but he hates show business. Yeah, and I kind of think that's why he really wasn't anything very much anymore. I think he kind of did his thing and wanted yeah. to be left alone. Really, yeah. There were also there's there was a uh, uh, an interview I was reading that uh, he talked about the fact that part of why he was doing a lot more writing in the last honestly twenty five years of his life uh, was because he. Yeah, he didn't really like the kinds of movies that were, people were making and like what was popular now and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so he was like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not retired. If somebody brought me a script I really liked, I would do it. But honestly, like, I don't see anything that I think is really worthwhile. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, um, 
which I, you know, I can, I can, I can understand. Yeah, you, I mean, um, especially when you've done a lot of amazing things in your life, like yeah, you get to. And if you if you're financially secure and you have enough money, yeah, and you're fortunate enough to do what you want to do in your life, right? Do it, absolutely. And, I mean, and it was very clear, like, it wasn't, you know, it was no sweat off his neck or mm-hmm. off, off his back, right? Like, he was he was clearly really happy doing what he was doing. Absolutely, and, then, uh, and he should be. Yeah, man. So, sad news, but he left behind some great work. Oh, gosh. Uh, Dude, Blazing Saddles is so funny. Blazing Saddles, Shit. and obviously Young Frankenstein. Yes. Or Frankenstein. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest Willy Wonka fan. I know everybody loves Willy Wonka. Yeah, but he's great in it, right? Oh, I, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't love it necessarily. Like, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is particularly amazing in it. Like, he's the reason to watch it. Oh, absolutely. If you cast someone else like Johnny Depp, honestly, the movie would just completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> so, uh, so, anyways, uh, rest in peace, Mr. Wilder. Yeah. Uh, well, you'll always live on. I was thinking about watching Young Frankenstein tonight. Yeah. Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we go see a new movie, and then we podcast our experience to the world. Mm-hmm. This week, we saw Don't Breathe. Did you see Don't Breathe? So, here's I, I saw Ben-Hur, but mm-hmm. here's what I'm thinking. I'll just talk about Ben-Hur and what we've been watching, and then, because I actually think it's it's usually really fun when you review a horror movie, and then I just, like, ask questions about right. it and follow along. Honestly, so I would have been be shocked. Yeah. If you said you went and saw it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Before what I... if I told you it's not a horror film? Uh, save it for the review, man. <laughs> right. Save it for save the it review. For review. <laughs> but we also talk about movies you should be watching um, that we've watched or not. Yeah. And uh, movies that are coming out, movie news, we're a movie podcast. And also I'm going to put out there, we're starting a new fantasy movie league. Oh, yeah, right. If, if you'd like to join it, just message us on Facebook and we can send you the uh, password. Yes, and if you don't know what Fantasy Movie League is, it's basically you pick, you have a thousand dollars to pick eight screens. Each screen is each movie is worth a certain amount of money, and it's it's a fake thousand dollars. You don't yes. need to have a thousand. You don't have to have a thousand, but you can win prizes to it. It's a just for fun thing. Yeah. yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. You know, and the nice thing is the stakes aren't really. You know, they don't. They're, they're, it's 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 whose line is it right? Like the, yeah. the points don't matter. So. Uh, the week, the <laughs> weeks when I, it. right, the, the weeks when I f- completely forget to set it or whatever, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> but it's just, it's just kind of fun to sort of see where I stack up and to, to make sure that when, when, when Brad bets heavy on Suicide Squad that I, I kick his ass. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> Suicide Squad was just so expensive. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I like taking risks on some of the little mm-hmm. things, you know? Well, you can I, make the, you can make your bonuses on that. Yeah, exactly. So now if you pick... The best performing movie, meaning the movie that makes the most per screen, you get like a million dollars, I think, for each um, time you put it on your thing or something like that. I forget how it works, but I, I, I end up playing too much with my heart where I'm like, oh, no, like I, I, I want this movie to do well. And then it doesn't and I lose. But that's OK, because it was, you know, well, was, you know, why I didn't get a, fun. a perfect cinema this week. Why? Is because I wanted to put Jason Satham's movie in there. So I took away one of my don't breathe. And, put his there, <laughs> and I ended up being like in the top. And my other one that's huge. Yeah. The guy's like in the top 100 anyways. But if I would have put if you'd the, don't the Don't Breathe, breathe and yeah. then just left it how it was, I would have got a perfect cinema. Oh, funny. But I'm like, I got to put Jason Statham in there. Right. <laughs> Maybe a little overperform. Though it, even though it's a sequel to a movie he made 10 years ago that no one cares about. Yeah. yeah. It's Ugh. all right. Too cool. Too, too cool. What's going on, bud? So this is what's happening in the movie news in a segment we call Real News. <laughs> It's real news. 
Uh, so Gene Wilder died this week. Uh, he did. <laughs> but moving on, um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot of stuff. Well, uh, speaking I'll of s- death, okay. <laughs> did you uh, see the Friday the 13th news this week? No, I didn't. I didn't. I rely on you for that. So the Friday the 13th, I, so a little backstory to Friday the 13th. When the movie was first announced, it actually didn't have a script. What happened is... Surprise. Yeah. You know, Sean Cunningham loved the, I, the title Friday the 13th. Oh, you mean the original Friday yeah. the 13th? Oh, so oh the okay. original. I, th- I thought you meant like the remake. So now we're going back to 1980. Okay, okay, sorry. Now, um, I'm, now I'm with you. So he goes, I love the title Friday the 13th. Sure. I need to get funding for this film because my last few films are these little kid soccer movies that didn't do very well. And Friday the 13th is like the Jason one where the crystal, the, that's Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake. Okay, cool. So he takes out this ad in Variety, and it's called Friday the 13th, the most terrifying film in movie history okay. without a script. Sure. And so he raised, I think, $2 million doing that <laughs> by taking out the ad. So he had him and his friend who wrote, um, I think it's Manny's Tigers or something like that. I forget the name of the kids' films. Basically, what Sean Cunningham wanted is he wanted to take advantage, exploit Halloween. So, so, so this was after Halloween. It's after Halloween. So okay, 1978, cool. Halloween came out. Yeah. And it was made for $100,000, and it made, I don't know, $70 million at the box office. Right. It's crazy. Maybe not that much. I might be exaggerating. I don't remember. Sure. Um, anyways, so he wanted to capitalize on it. So, <laughs> so what he did is he had Victor Miller. He said, I want you to write a script that kind of piggybacks off of it, where people are just being murdered, basically. Right. Obviously, Friday 13 is a little more trashy. Um, and so he did. There is a thing that I did not know existed uh, that passed in uh, 1978 that after 35 years, you can reclaim stuff that you've created as, a, as an author. So Victor Miller, the original screenwriter Friday the 13th, yeah. put in a lawsuit to get the name Friday the 13th back because he doesn't own it. Okay. So, Well, but didn't you say Sean Cunningham came up with it? Well, that's the, that's where it gets a little contentious. Okay. Is, so he filed a notice of termination for the rights of, to the horror franchise that would see the current rights holder, Horror Inc., and collaborator Manning Company forced to revert them back to Miller. So basically he wants the money from it, which is fine. Sure. You wrote it. I understand you want the money from yeah. it. But therein lies the problem is Sean Cunningham is basically doing – well, it's probably not even Sean Cunningham. It's probably the production companies. Sure. Warner Brothers now is doing the Marvel DC thing where it's like, well, you're a work for hire. Sean Cunningham told you to write that script and you wrote that script. And yep. so now there's uh they don't. So that's what Warner brothers is saying. Yeah. Um, which is what they should say, right? What like, they should say, even yeah. if they're wrong, even if they're wrong, that's the way you, you fight this war. Because the thing is, is the last Friday 13th film came out in 2009 was I think budgeted I think it was seventeen million dollars. It's opening weekend it did sixty million. And so that, and that was the, the Platinum Dunes one? Yeah. Okay. So by doing that it's lucrative. I mean the franchise is lucrative. Right. The name alone. Yeah. Um Well and at least they've they've done something with it. So it's not I mean, because this isn't a copyright law thing. It um, is a copyright. It's it, it's weird. I don't understand. Like it's Oh, huge. because the thing that we always talk about about like how how Sony has to keep making Spider-Man movies mm-hmm. to make to keep it is a contract thing. It has exactly. nothing to do with copyright law. Yeah. That's written into their contracts exactly. when they sell the product. Yeah, it, yeah, right. Okay. To me, I'm ba- I'm back I, on I understand why Victor Miller wants the money. Yeah, I mean, of if course. I if I wrote it and Yeah, he, I mean, you wrote one script a long time ago, you birthed this thing that has turned into a lot of money for a lot yeah, of people. I don't know 
how much because obviously back then they had no idea it would be what it is today. Right. Yeah. I don't know how much money he still makes off. I know he still gets credit as creating the characters. Sure. But I don't know how much money he makes. I mean, so, he's, he's getting like you know the whatever the, the base rate. Right? Exactly. Like, They're not going to pay him a lot of money. No. I don't know. So I would want the rights back because you're going to make a lot of money off of whatever's right. Every time Friday Thirteenth is printed, you're going to make money. Yeah. So I can see why he wants to do that. Uh, my guess is is Warner Brothers is probably going to pay him a lot of money. Oh sure, yeah. Just like, you, you well, make here, it go away. Here, here's you know ten fifteen million bucks. Right. We'll see how it goes. But which is good uh, for him. Yeah. I mean, I I can see it going either way. I can retire on that. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's in his seventies. So. Oh okay. Well then his kids yeah. can retire on that. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Okay. So interesting. I can see yeah. both sides. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, we'll see where it goes. Because you know nobody was there, and at, when you're when you're sort of scrambling to just try and get any kind of recognition and get any kind yeah. of script together, like you, you tend to do the work first, and then then afterwards you're like, oh shit! Like now I, that it's I, worth something, I wish we had written a. Contract. And that's why I call it the Marvel DC thing because I think the yes. original creators of Marvel and DC, the oh. Jack Kirby's, even Stan Lee, Happened I think all the time. I think they would say they would have read the contracts a little more closely. Yeah. And realize that, oh, you know, and that's why things like Image exist now. Right. So, um, um, so I'm all for artists getting their fair share. Oh, yeah. And we'll see where it goes. I guess if it reverts back, he gets it in 2018. They have a movie plan for 2017. Oh, okay. So something tells you they might fast track that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the the truth is his endgame, like... His end game is going to be he gets it back and sells it to someone. Oh, absolutely! Right. So if they give him enough money that he feels like, well, I, I, I save the time and the hassle of all that mm-hmm. work. I get the money up front. Like, yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, happens. I don't know if it's better to get a lump sum or if they promise him points off the movies or I don't know what would work best for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you if you do have a family and kids, then yeah, mm-hmm. you, you you argue for points and that then points that go to your estate that don't go to you. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. It's interesting that. A little horror film franchise like that is still... Yeah. Well, since you brought up some Marvel and DC, we'll talk a little DC and Marvel news. Um, Ben Affleck tweeted a a very short video of Deathstroke, um, and the internet blew up and was like, Deathstroke's going to be in something! Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's clearly... There's some production value behind this. I have a feeling that this is maybe like a... It's it's a it's either a teaser for for uh, for Justice League or it's a teaser for like a stinger in Justice League, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but either way, I the only the thing that's kind of cool about this is I think it's fun that like Ben Affleck is excited enough that he's like you know a part of the marketing on this, right? Like that he he feels like they're doing something exciting that people should be excited for, and that makes me excited because I trust him. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. Uh, how far have I come in five years? Um, <laughs> well, no, I trust thing, him more than I trust most of the people at Warner Brothers doing the actual marketing at the this thing point. With Affleck, what, I still think he's a great director and writer. Oh, I think he, oh, I totally agree. And he is passionate about comic books. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know. Right. Before he hit it big, he he was writing intros to graphic novels yeah. and things like that. So he's a big comic book guy. So I think oh, yeah. the opportunity to play <laughs> the most, arguably the most iconic vil, uh, comic book character ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a layer to this, which is he was on set, someone was dressed up as Deathstroke, and he was like, holy shit, <laughs> I want to film this, um, and then got permission to share it. And the reason but, I say uh, arguably, because I never want to say he's more popular than Spider-Man. Right, no, I totally understand. <laughs> um, but uh, if if Deathstroke is a main villain, and maybe the only villain of a Justice League and or 
potentially a Batman movie. Not that they're filming Batman, but that they could be filming mm-hmm. like a teaser or, or some little like, hey, this is where we're going to go with Batman. Yeah. Um, that, it, to me, is exciting because that, not because I love Deathstroke, it's because he is a relatively grounded and simple yeah. villain that you don't need to waste a bunch of time explaining. Well, he's a mercenary. Right, yeah. It's like, hey, this guy's bad. Let's move on. Um, like, you be- don't need a convoluted story. You don't need all the things that have ruined the last two movies you've made. And what um, I like about it is it's a new villain for Batman. Right. Yes, he's not somebody we've seen in other Batman mm-hmm. movies. Right. It'd be different. Yeah, that could be cool. I mean, I still think it'd be fun to see a Harley Quinn Batman story with Poison Ivy or something, but I think it's more beneficial to the series if they do, like, Deathstroke or Man Bat, something like that. Yeah. Um, so then the other the other sort of big... I don't even want to call this big. This is this is totally, like, a, a title bait, nerd baity kind of article. Um, but in an interview, uh, the Russo brothers... Talked about the fact that the 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 final scene of of Captain America: Civil War, where he puts down the shield and all of that, mm-hmm. is him sort of separating himself from that character. And so, what the news became was Steve Rogers is no longer Captain America. Which, okay, the thing uh, <laughs> the thing that I said on on uh, Zach Eastman's Facebook page or Facebook wall when after he he said something about it was like was like you guys are like the thing people have to remember is Captain America isn't the superhero. Steve Rogers <laughs> is the superhero. It doesn't matter if he's the nomad or the captain or whatever, because he does this all the time. And it's the most interesting stuff about Captain America, to me, is when he disagrees with the, with the establishment and is mm-hmm. like, hey, like this weird, crazy, jingoistic thing that you, you built around me so I could sell war bonds, I don't agree with right now, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move away from this. Like, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's a cool thing. And I um, think you'll agree with me. I think the coolest part in the first Avenger... Is when he's in the USO show and he realizes what he's doing doesn't yeah. help, and then he goes and saves everybody, and then comes back and they're marching, and he's like in the front with all the Allen Commandos. And he's like real. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's that, all that... like cool Joe Johnston like shooting. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, have we talked about the fact that they're making a sequel to the Rocketeer? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's really cool, um, and I just feel like like this piece of news that I don't want to spend any more time talking about is honestly like belittling of how good the end of that movie is because like it doesn't need to tell you that like it just told you a really amazing story with these well-developed characters you know, when, when i read the article um, I'm like isn't that kind of implied in the right i was like we don't need to talk about this that's what happens in the movie like you might as well just be like hey um spoilers <coughs> superman dies <laughs> and then like the news is superman dead in the in the dc universe yeah we know it happened at the end of the movie um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, I think a week ago you were talking about how uh, <laughs> uh, The Rock and Vin Diesel were, were, were feuding. Um, and there's this, there's this like rumor or speculation that this is all actually lead up to WrestleMania. Um, which, which in a way is cool. Would be so amazing. <laughs> but I also want it to be confirmed that Vin Diesel's an asshole. Right. <laughs> and I understand, I understand where you're coming from. But I will also say that if this turns into Fast and Furious having some kind of appearance at the, at WrestleMania, which I think are two like established entertainment groups on about the same oh, yeah, level. I'm pretty sure it's WrestleMania 38. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. Anyway, I thought that was amazing. I hope that that happens because <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Uh, and then the very last thing, I just want to talk about this because I want to talk about this movie anytime that it comes up, <laughs> is um, that they are eyeing Christoph Waltz for, I, I know the character, but uh, for a 
a non-villain role in uh, Battle Angel Alita, which is a, a manga that I read back when I was in high school. That Isn't really that what loved. James Cameron's doing? Yes. So that's the, the movie that, J- for a long time, before Avatar happened, James yeah, Cameron was going to make that movie. Time. And I was always like, this is awesome. Because um, I just think, I think it's a really fun, like, cool universe that would be different. Hopefully they wouldn't make it, like... Uh, yeah, hopefully they would keep it relatively grounded. Um, but I think it would make for a really awesome movie. It also has, in for my money, like one of the coolest twists in a book. Or at least like one of the coolest um, like reveals of a twist. Uh, there's just this real amazing scene where a character does something and you're like, holy shit, what is happening? <laughs> and then you find out this great secret. Um, so anyway, um, the character he's playing, I, I think it would be really awesome. He would be fantastic. Um, so hope I just want that movie to eventually get made because I've been waiting for like t- twelve years. Mm-hmm. So uh, he should get on that eventually. Um, but anyway, I think that's news, unless I missed something, which I usually do. <laughs> uh, Terminator Two is coming out in three D next year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I also didn't talk about the fact that China is mad about three D movies right now. Um, most. That? Uh, they, there's, there were like people walking out of Jason Bourne in 3D. I didn't even know Jason Bourne was made in 3D. Is it 3D? 3D? Apparently it is. At Uh, least it is. Well, I I think there's a lot of like convert, like shitty 3D conversions happening in China. Um, and so the, the articles that I saw were about the fact that like, there's a lot of uproar right now where, where, uh, Chinese audiences are like, Hey, we don't really like this shitty 3D conversion. It doesn't look good. Um, the, the, the medium there is a lot more popular. Like people like the 3d, they think it's cool. Um, but, uh, but they're getting a lot of garbage and I, yeah, I just can't imagine like Jason Bourne converted to 3d. I don't, I don't know. That movie wasn't shot with 3d in mind. No. Um, so I could totally understand how converting that probably looks like garbage. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I didn't talk about it cause I don't care about 3d. I don't know if I talked about it on air, but, uh, one of our favorite comic series is continuing with some of our favorite comic creators, Christos Gage and Rebecca Isaacs will be returning for Buffy season 12 or is it 11? Uh, this would be 11. 11. Yeah. So yeah. They will come back. I think it's November. It launches. Yeah. The fir- her first season was nine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, the nine, ten, ten was the, the like, yeah, that's cool. I, I got super excited cause I thought you were going to say that they were returning to Denver comic-con next year. Uh, Maybe they still will. I would shit myself. Uh, especially if Christoph Gage got there. If Christoph Gage got there, I would be like, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, he'd be on the show. I'd just be tweeting him every, like, you know, two months. Like, hey, uh, you're uh, you're going to be on our podcast. Speaking uh, of comic creators, we do have something special lined up. We forgot to mention one of the reasons why. Oh, right. Well, I'm not going to say what it is because it's going to be so cool. Yeah, no. But we have something lined up with a comic creator. <laughs> Hopefully, very soon. Yeah, it, it's gonna happen when it happens. And honestly, every 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 time that we almost are able to pull it off, and then we have to postpone it again, it actually ends up getting cooler and cooler. Yeah. So, um, did I tell you his wife wants to come? She doesn't necessarily want to be on the show, but she's just like, I think this sounds fun. I want to be there. I know my wife wants to come and drink. So oh, okay, so she Shit. can drink with I'm, Zach's. I'm gonna have a party. Like the first party at my house is gonna be this. It's gonna be awesome. This is fantastic. <laughs> Again, I don't want to say what it is. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just hype machine, man. It's hype, and it's gonna be cool. And trust me, this comic creator is awesome. Oh, it's gonna be fantastic. I will give it's people a... a little morsel. We do have interviews with him located <laughs> in our Denver Comic Con special. Yeah. So go listen to all of them, and yep. then you can guess. Uh, even though I think at this point it's probably that's not obvious. lotion, buddy. That's butter and garlic. <laughs> 
Anything he rubs on his hand is lotion. Yes. Come here, buddy. Uh-huh. Hey, Kelly, can you wipe your hands for me? Um, there he comes. There we, we also go. are purchasers of movies. Yes. This is what's coming out on movies on Blu-ray. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Ryan, the Jungle Book is coming out this week. It is. Well, it came out today. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, what are we doing here? I need to go. Um, I, I am so... like, Especially because I love this cover so much. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I forget how... Oh, man, this movie is so good. Uh, did you see that Mondo poster they did of, mm. of Mowgli with the snake coming down the tree? Holy shit, that was so cool. Uh, less exciting is Me Before You, the movie where Amelia Clark falls in love with a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> Star Wars Rebels, The Complete Saga, Season 2. I should watch that. Is that good? I have no idea. I feel like it's... I, I don't like how the animation looks, so I've never watched it. I don't either. I really liked the... I really but that's a really the... stupid thing not to watch it for, but... Yeah, I guess. But, uh, yeah... I really liked the original Clone Wars show. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on to other things I don't like. Uh, Arrow Season 4 is coming out this week. So if you want some more low production values. Um, uh, oh, uh, The Night Manager, the unrated edition, uh, which basically just means it's the BBC version um, and not necessarily the version. Though my parents say that uh, th- my parents watched The Night Manager on AMC mm-hmm. when, it, when it reared in the U.S., uh, and all of the nudity was in it. Yeah, AMC, AMC does. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like it's not Spartacus, right? No, but, but there's like there's like little moments where you're like, hey, there's there's a boob. Um, and yeah, and I was surprised. Uh, so maybe this is the same version that they showed on AMC. But either way, um, AMC does push boundaries. It's the version that I watched, and I thought it was it was pretty good. It was pretty worth checking out. Um, so so go. Check it out. Uh, Chimes at Midnight, uh, filmed by Orson Welles, is getting a Criterion uh, Blu-ray this week. Um, it's got a big fat Orson Welles on the cover. Um, mm-hmm. So that might be a thing. Uh, do season six of Shameless. which I've, I, was, I can't believe it's been on for six years. I can't either. I actually own the first season. I got it for a dollar at, at Tradesmart. But I, I friggin' love this, 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 this cover. Is like a, it's like a Dukes of Hazard cover. Um, did you see this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. His, that's a that neat... one lady is pretty attractive. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's the uh, Emmy Rossum from uh, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, nice. Yeah. The the so the, yes, the she is very she is very pretty then. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's a show. I keep meaning to check it out because, like, like I said, I own the first season, but I just have never taken the time. Uh, there's another Criterion. Oh, another Orson Welles called The Immortal Story this week, uh, and a movie called What Happened Simone uh, that I that was a, I think a like a like an Oscar nom, um, but I didn't see. Is there not a a Scream Factory release this week? I don't believe so. I didn't see anything. They kind of tone it down because they ramp up in October. Oh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just relooking here, and and that's why this week's list. Oh, oh, here we go. Here's the horror of the week: Balto three movie fun pet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that might be it. It's a cool release of Barbarella. But anyway, cool. That's Can we it. just talk about though the trailer for La La Land? <laughs> oh shit! I forgot about the trailer <laughs> for La La Land. Oh, dude! I swear, in the last year, we were talking about how I would love for people to make musicals again. Yeah, I mean, that movie looks so much fun. It does. Oh, like a genuine, light-hearted musical. 
with emotion and dancing and music and singing and, has, like, and dancing. 1940s vibe to it. Oh, I just, just, you could just see Bing Crosby. Yes. Like, oh, man. And who knew Emma Stone had such a great singing voice? Yeah, well, she did. Well, she did, um, but I didn't. So, right. So good for <laughs> right. her. Yeah. So I just happened uh, to be scrolling through our Twitter thing, and I remember that, and it made me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Brad's was... not here. True. But he's telling us what's happening around town. What's up, nerds? Brad here with all your information on what's going on around town. This episode is getting up a little later than we'd hoped, so I'm doing a little re-record, starting with uh, Midnight's at the Esquire. One night has already passed, so Saturday night, The Princess Bride is playing at midnight at the drive-in. They have changed up the movies to Suicide Squad, Sausage Party, if you can believe it, and War Dogs. And then next Tuesday... Film on the Rocks concludes its season with Star Wars The Force Awakens at 7 p.m. Um, I will be there. Say hi. And then the following week, September 15th, please come out to the 40-hour film project Best Of. And I'm proud to announce that Thunderbolt 2 has been selected as one of the 15 to screen at the Best Of. So, so come check it out September 15th, 6.30 p.m. at the Esquire Theater. And that's what's going on around town. <laughs> Uh, now cool. I'm guessing he called in because I looked. I can't find it in our emails. Oh, he told me he called in. He, he told me too, but usually they send so, us a transcript. By the time he ed- by the time he edits this, uh, we, there will be there will have been something. So he told us about like Star Wars is probably on the rocks this week or something. Because uh, I think this week was Deadpool, which means that I think Star Wars is next. But anyway, we'll see. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> we watch <laughs> movies throughout the week in a segment we call "What We've Been Watching." So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. You see how I'm kind of doing like a lighthearted uh, Tales from the Crypt thing? I, I, yeah, I, you're having a lot of fun tonight. I, I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> did you ever watch HBO Tales from the Crypt? No. Uh, so before each, you should watch them. I think you'd like them. Okay. Uh, so before each 25-minute show, the Crypt Keeper would come on. And he'd say stupid puns like because uh, it was like it was like uh, uh, are you afraid of the dark or yeah or, but it's like yeah. a so really like, straight up horror I mean it's campy right. horror though yeah so it's so it's like the Tales from the Crypt comics they take stories right. from the the issues and just adapt them for screen it's Rob Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale and all those cool people so okay, now I'm back <laughs> uh, so the Crypt Keeper would say stuff like listen boys and ghouls and it's really well done and he's really hammy. Uh, and he'd, before each one, he'd always take like this really thick book, the you know, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And he'd like open it up and he goes, and a little nightmare I call. And so he'd just always say stuff like that. And yeah. I always loved how he introduced, uh, stories. Oh, that's cool. Um, you should watch. I think you'd like them. Yeah. I'll check it out. Cool. I can't even, there's some that are straight horror, but most of them are pretty goofy. Yeah. Uh, which is fine because it's, it's Bob Zemeckis. So it has right. that still kind of charm to it i mean yeah and they got like lots of huge people i mean schwarzenegger directed directed an episode oh, with cool. demi Moore. um there's a lot of big actors in it daniel craig's in one um, neat so yeah it's fun that should be on blu-ray but it probably never will be <laughs> do you own the dvds i do cool i have all seasons if you ever want to borrow uh, that sounds like a thing cool so uh I, I started doing this new thing where i have so my blu-ray.com keeps track of all the blu-rays i buy 
And every time I watch one, I move it into watched. Right. So I was sitting there looking. I'm like, man, I have a lot of movies I've bought that I haven't watched. Yeah. And so on my Blu-ray.com account, I have 134 movies I've purchased that I haven't watched. Yeah. Now, some of it's because... Stuff like Trade Smart would have sales where I just get shitloads of them. Yeah, it's not movies you've not seen. Exactly. Some of them are movies you haven't seen, exactly. but some of them are just movies where it's like, hey, I bought The Martian and I haven't watched the movie. Exactly. Yet. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but every once in a while, I get one. So what I did is, <laughs> with the help of my little guy, is I would grab like I don't know ten or fifteen of them and I put them in a box and I would just let Kellen pull one out. <laughs> so the first one that he pulled out was uh, Terminator Genesis, awesome. which I, I mean. Awesome that he pulled that he pulled yeah. one out. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters. Yeah, and I always I remembered as I was watching, I'm like you know, I think this movie's actually pretty solid. I don't. Yeah, I think there's ideas there that almost pay off. The only part of it that that I remember being like, oh man, is I th- like the the end fight scene is a bit too CGI yeah. and, and and ethereal. Yeah, where what you want what you want is the end of Terminator Two, where it's just like yeah. Everyone is beaten down and they're smashing each other with hammers and everything is hot and there's like a shotgun that you can barely reload. You know, yeah. you want like that diehard kind of ending uh, or fight fight scene. But other than that, I, I remember really liking that movie. Yeah. And I mean, there's fun moments in it. Um, I like the And I also do as I'm watching the film. And now that I have the benefit of watching and going back and reexamining it, I still think the trailer that reveals that John Connor's bad Terrible. ruined it. Ugh. Because it's so... Well, because the way the movie's made is that it purposely doesn't tell you that he's the bad guy. Right. It leaves you with, did he die? Right. You know, did he die when they when uh, Kyle Reese was sent back? Yeah. And they have that, uh, and because they cast they cast an actor who isn't big enough. Like he's big enough that you'd recognize yeah. him and he could pull off the role. But at the same time, he's not big enough that you couldn't believe. Like, oh, they they cast him because they needed somebody good for that scene. Exactly. But you know, and. You know, Arnold's really good as, obviously, uh, the Terminator. Right. And I think... As old Arnold. As old Arnold. Uh, it has some cheesy one-liners sometimes that don't always work. Sure, uh, sure, but can we all just admit that Terminator 2 is full of some shitty dialogue? Oh, yeah. I, like, it is. I, st- I can forgive that. Yeah. there's some, My favorite line of dialogue from Terminator 2 is completely out of character for the Terminator. Yeah. But it's right after he uh, destroys the T-1000. And he comes up, and John Connor's helping him up, and he says, are you all right? He's like, I need a vacation. I mean, it's totally out of character, but it's really funny. (laughs) And this one has a couple of that. Yeah. Um, But I I think I love the idea of an alternate timeline. But at least with this one, like, this this Terminator is is sort of fun and, and... I don't want to say modern. He's different. Like he's not. Yeah. He's not a, a straight robot Terminator. So yeah. it's a little more okay when he says things. Because you're like, oh well, I haven't been with him his entire life, right? Yeah. Whereas with the T two Terminator, you're like, I've seen you from. I am just a robot. To, right. Like I've seen your whole mm-hmm. progress. Um. So I didn't see the the movie where you heard somebody say like, I need a vacation, and you 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 know stole yeah. the line, right? Uh. But a lot of this movie still really works really well. Um. I I don't know why it gets such a bad rap. I still think it's pretty fun. Um, I like yeah. the idea of at the end, you know, the Arnold Terminator is now upgraded to a T one thousand. Yeah, there's still some goofy like editing choices. Um, yeah, and I think I, I kind of remember like the helicopter sequence. Yeah, the being helicopter a doesn't make abru- any sense. Yeah, like it's where he jumps. So Arnold's it's Terminator. Coo- it's cool that he uses himself as a missile. Yeah, but like all the, it did the action was sequence isn't much. Crash and have John Connor like get out 
right where he needed to. So it doesn't make any sense why he did it. Yeah. It'd probably be slower if they forced him to land the helicopter. Um, (laughs) Exactly. That's true. uh, So the second movie Kellen picked for me and did not watch with me (laughs) is uh, he picked Green Room. Oh, good. Um, Had you seen it yet? No. Okay, cool. I'm so excited because when (laughs) I, I reviewed the movie and then Brad saw it and he reviewed it and I wasn't there... And I was like, no, like that's like I. Anyway, I'm ex- I'm really excited to hear what you think about this movie. Hey, <laughs> I found the expensive P- PS4 controllers, Dad. They, they they belong smashed on the floor. It's not funny. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's heavy. It is heavy. Then it then it's expensive. Put it back. <laughs> Boom! Boom! I'm done. I can't get better than that. No. I, I I gotta go. I'm out. <laughs> so the green room tells a story about this punk rock group that needs money, and they take a last minute gig at this white supremacist bar, yeah, venue hangout place, directed by the guy who made Blue Ruin. Yeah, and years so ago. you know what's interesting is I was watching this film. He actually uses a green tint throughout the whole film. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Very uh, very clever, and it makes everything feel kind of gross. Yep. Like the whole time that you're. I, I feel like there. It's. I think it's. I feel like it's only in the building. I, I don't know that the green tent. I'd like to go back and and watch it, is. it again. When they're driving and stuff, there's it's green still tent. green. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, it might be because I watch it on Blu-ray and it's. I can notice it more. Pro- um, I'm also colorblind. You are colorblind. With green, so so yeah. So I can tell you that there's a green tent throughout <laughs> it. Um, right. Uh, and the movie stars Anton Yelchin and um, uh, Imogene Poots. Yeah, and what's the girl from Arrested Development? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Aliyah Shawkat. Uh, 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 Aliyah Shawkat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 Patrick Stewart. And Patrick uh, Stewart. Uh, he's yeah, but he's more of a I'm not in it very much kind of guy. Yeah. But uh, and marketed very heavily as like, dude, this guy is dark. Yeah. But he's actually, I, I felt like a very sedated sort of a, a, yeah, a menace. Yeah. It, it's more of his evil in it. I think he's really good. Yes. But his evil in it isn't that over the top. You know. Nick Cage kind of evil. It's right. It's hey, get the dogs, set them loose in there, right? And uh, we'll go from there, right? Uh, so the story is: is they uh, perform uh, on stage and no one really likes them, and they get off stage they, <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> Nobody likes them because they're singing this this uh, what I learned at the Alamo when I saw it. So the song that they sing about um, uh, about like fuck Nazis or whatever uh-huh. is a real song. That uh, that a band, some punk band, I can't remember, sang in, in like Alabama or something like that. I watched the video at the Alamo before the movie. Mm-hmm. So when that happened in the theater, I was like, "Holy shit! Like this is a thing! Like oh, nice. this really happened!" Yeah. Anyway, so moving on. So uh, they go back to their green room and mm-hmm. they find someone has been murdered. Yep. And they try to leave, and the people there won't let them leave the green room. And they try to work out something, and they eventually do. And as they're working it out, uh, the lady from 28 Weeks Later, uh, she uh, she notices they're all wearing red laces, which kind of symbolizes it's the gang of uh, Patrick Stewart's mm-hmm. thing. And uh, but but it's it, it, there's a lot happening. But so basically, you know who else that is? Is she's she's the girl from Fright Night? Yes. So it's the two the two main actresses from Fright Night. Anyway, sorry. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And. Uh, but well, this movie is touted as, you know, being shocking and really hard to watch. And 
yeah, I mean, there's moments in it where you're like, this is kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. What's going on? You know, I think actually the most gruesome thing, there's two of them, is when they ask if the girl that has a knife sticking out of her head is dead. And she, the dude grabs the knife to pull it out of her head and it kind of like twists her around. And he's having a hard time getting it out. Uh, and obviously she's dead. And then there's a scene where they're trying to negotiate how to get out. And the guy's are able to disarm the bodyguard's gun. Uh-huh. Who, who is that guy? He, where is he in? I swear I've seen yeah, him before. He's one of those character actors. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so they get him out and they ask for, um, so they ask for the gun. And so Anton Yelchin's character puts the gun out and he starts getting his arm hacked. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, he pulls it back in and it's all hanging off and oh, that, yeah. it's, it's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And so the whole story is them trying to get out of the green room and if they're going to be able to get out, who's going to survive when they get out. Right. And you know, I, there's, there's what I think this movie does really effectively is it doesn't really linger on people's deaths. No, it's, it, this happened. People just die because there's that one dude, uh, they're all trying to get out and he jumps out of like the kitchen window and there's guys that are ready to stab him and yeah. they just like stab him to death. Oh, man. So the horror I think from this film, um, comes from the, uh, like the flippant, I, I don't care what happens to these people. Yes. It's, oh, there's, like, even the Aaliyah Shock at whatever fuck her name is, character. Yeah. You think she's going to get out. She shoots the dog, but the dog still just eats her. Yeah. And it's, and she's that's dead. it. Yeah. There's, there's no linging on it. Right. Um, so when I reviewed this movie, I talked about the fact that I find the movie to be extremely brutal. But yeah. I think what I didn't convey very well is that it's not... It's not in the gore effects, right? Like it's it's me. I'm not there, and I'm not like I'm not experiencing it for the gore. Even though I do think I think that the oh, I think the arm is really gory and terrible. Oh, there's some gory moments. I, I think when they kill that dude, the the right when when Imogene Poots stabs that dude in the stomach. Oh yeah, and it's but but it's not brutal because of the gore. It's brutal, like specifically that shot is brutal because of this like this you know. In inhumanity in the moment, right? It, yeah. It's brutal in what these people are doing to each other. And it's other. almost like it's they don't care. Right, it's, like that callousness, especially mm-hmm. for, like, for that one as an example. Like, she fucking just cold-hearted guts that guy. Mm-hmm. And she does it because she's... She doesn't do it because she's a bad person. She does it because she has been pushed to this place. And so the movie, the reason why, to me, it's really brutal and why it's it's tough to watch and left me in this place was because... You walk out of it. What it's what it's putting forward is this: like, hey, anybody can be pushed to this place where you're going to do really terrible things, um, because that's what the whole end of the movie is, right? Like when it becomes oh, a yeah. when it becomes a revenge film, um, it's like you're. I'm sitting there as an audience member waiting for like, I mean, I'm rooting for them to fucking kill this guy, if only because I need them to be safe, not even because I'm like, well the fair thing is for them to slaughter this man. Yeah. It's like, as long as he's alive, no one is safe anymore. Um, because, and that's the brutal part And I think me. that film actually does have a... Um, a really uh, 1970s revenge film vibe to it. Yeah. Where, um, like, so if when you watch a lot of horror films or films where uh, the violence is a selling point, they, they kind of overdo it and they make it an event yeah it's not this doesn't feel this like doesn't. a like it, a i spit on your grave yeah, or something exactly. like that where it's like the the rape has got to be super violent and then the mm. violence leading uh, as a result is really vi- right like it's not that no and i think too why it's as an effective film is 
it just happens. I mean, there's right. they're being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it's like the Jaws thing. It's to me, I agree with Steven Spielberg where he says, you know, Jaws isn't a is the inevitable death. Right. You know, you're not going to escape it. Right. Um, and I feel that way about this because even when um, they finally get their revenge on, you know, the dog guy and Patrick Stewart's character, it's. It's not like over the top. It's like, well, you know, we're going to shoot these guys. Right. No. And that's all it is. This is going to be done now. Yep. Which honestly is kind of how Blue Ruin was, right? Like, oh, yeah. There was some pretty brutal stuff in that movie, too. That's a much slower burn movie. I feel like I need to watch it again. Yeah. Because as I was watching Green Room, I'm like, oh, that one dude, that's the main dude from Blue Ruin. (laughs) Right. And then I finally put them together. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, uh, I, cool. I mean, if you like those kind of films, I definitely recommend seeing Green Room. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's unsettling. Um, I would never ask my mother to watch this film. No, no. Um, I don't think I'd ask my dad to watch this film. Um, yeah, because it, it's one of the. I don't. No, it's it's definitely not brutal. Like, Good job, buddy. I had an easier time watching it than I did say, the the Evil Dead remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apropos of nothing. Yeah. Um, but. But I think there is sort of this inhumanity to this one that that does feel a lot worse. Because somehow. even the people you root for, you, you know, yeah, you know, because in this case you're not rooting. It's not like oh, there's some demon killing people. Yeah, like this is one where it's like no, these are just fucking terrible people. And in Donald Trump America, I'm particularly afraid of neo Nazis. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but the uh, but yeah, it's just a it's it's a pretty rough movie. It is, but um, I. I I don't want to say like enjoys the hard word, no. but, I, but I think it's a well-made film, and I yes. think you should watch it I, if you're a film fan. And I don't think for for me, if you're somebody like me who doesn't really like horror movies, but but every now and then one does play for you. Mm-hmm. This is one that I really like because the logic of the film works. He does things like mm-hmm. show you the show you that quick clip of the shotgun shell of the shotgun under the counter, and yeah. then bring you back to that shotgun. And then bring you back to it again, right? Like he's he does a good job of setting things up and making sure there's a logic to to the story. Because well, yeah, even that dude who's going to help him, who's his cousin, oh, like he's just gone instantly. Yup. I mean, that, that moment was was one of the most shock. I think that's the it, moment that people screamed in my theater because it took them by surprise. Honestly, I was watching it by myself, and right. I, I let out like, "Holy shit, that was right!" Just out of nowhere because it's a it's. It's a jump scare, but it's not. It's not using the the that visual dialogue that like a mm-hmm. a regular ass horror yeah. movie uses to telegraph that hey, there's a jump scare coming. Yeah, get you know, tense because I see so many horror films. Right, I'm at the point where um, when a horror film doesn't work for me, I can count the beats right to the scare. Yeah, like the the Paranormal Activity movies are perfect examples of yeah. it because I've seen so much horror film and I've seen so many jump scares. That there is a cadence to when the jump's going to happen. Well, they're they're following an equation, and they know like, okay, this is how long it takes to build the tension mm-hmm. enough, and we're also never going to take the time. We're going to break the tension as soon as we can because we're not we're not in this for the long haul. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not like uh um uh what was the one um anyway uh it's not like a Justin Lin movie or not a Justin Lin uh, what's James Wan James Wan where he's gonna he's gonna like lure you in a few times and fake you out and honestly spend most of the movie just making you feel tense and never really scaring yep. you. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. So yeah, no, so yeah, I, I would think if you like horror films, check out Green Room. Yeah. Um, cool. Again, it's not your conventional horror, but it's... No. It's, it, it's almost more of a thriller. It if, is. If not for the gore. 
Yeah. Right? Like, if, the, the, if it weren't for those gory uh, yeah, moments, I would yeah. almost say it's not... It's almost not a horror movie. And I guess a lot of people die, right? Like, but yeah. you, you have to sort of draw that line but and figure you, out, you like... But, you know, horror subjective, so... Right. Being murdered by neo-Nazis is pretty horrifying. Yes, um, I would agree. And the, the last thing I watch is I, uh, I've been watching Ash vs. Evil Dead again. Awesome. And to me, I, I sit there and I... It's so surreal to me be, to watch that stuff. Yeah. Because, obviously, it's... That's something you never would have expected I never would have, in a million years, thought... I could sit there and watch five hours of Ash <laughs> killing things. You know what right. I mean? Oh, yeah. Especially after Army of Darkness is 1992, so 25 years almost. Right. And you just sit there and, you know, I'm watching the, <laughs> the pilot shot by Sam Raimi. And it makes me miss Sam Raimi so much because... He hasn't done anything since Oz, right? Yeah. Ugh. He... I, and I know... I'm. He's one of those directors that he waits for something to inspire him. Sure. <laughs> or he's tricked into it. One of my favorite stories ever is um, Drag Me to Hell. It was supposed to be directed by um, – I think it's actually supposed to be directed by – oh, I can't remember who it is. But uh, Sam Raimi's had the same producer his whole career, Rob Tappert. Yeah. And Rob Tappert said – Sam, you should really direct your own script. I mean, it's something you should really do. <laughs> and he kept on like poking at Sam, and he eventually's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'll direct it." Yeah. And I, so that movie's really fun. It is. Yeah. So the the pilot and is, would not have worked without him. Oh no! Somebody else doing that movie, like you can't drop an anvil on a witch. Yeah. And like no other director can do that. So and it, or was what? it a is it a piano or a, or an anvil? I think I can't remember. Oh, I have to geez. watch again. I hope it's an anvil because that's even more cartoonish. Um, so the, the for, pilot for, for the record, your son is just running around having fun. <laughs> we're not we're not completely ignoring while he screams bloody murder in the background. <laughs> he's I don't know what he's doing. He's just throwing things, running. Yeah. Um. So the pilot, there's some shots that just makes me love Sam Raimi so much. Yeah. Uh, there's a part where this uh, this police officer and her partner go into this house that um. <laughs> so the the story is is Ash gets drunk. And he's trying to impress this woman with the Necronomicon, so he starts spouting off yes. things from it, so the <laughs> demons come back. Oh, that's so good. And just the way that Sam... He shoots things. So this woman is at this house where these two police officers come in, and he moves the camera where you just see half her face, and you see the uh, the police officers behind her, and she slowly like turns and like breaks her own neck to be backwards oh, yeah. and it's just the zany stuff that sam raimi does right that nobody else can do right and he's so creative how he moves his camera everything moves and i mean there's what i love about sam too is he he just knows how what he's playing to even when you're talking about spider-man or a simple plan or whatever it is he, there's a part in it where you know ash is always the reluctant hero he's never gonna want to stop the bad guys and if you've seen the last episode some people complained i think it's spot on mm -hmm. um anyway so in this one uh he's trying to get his chainsaw and he can't get it and pablo kicks the chainsaw to ash and ash jumps in the air like superman <laughs> and it locks on to him it's he starts so cool. it and says let's go bitch and nobody else can pull that off right the way it's shot like the the, 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 the pacing, campy silliness of it, yeah. The camera, how it's set up, and so, like I said, I just watch it and I'm like in awe. Yeah, that I'm watching Ash fight things, and it's not a movie I'm getting. 
I'm getting 10 30-minute episodes, yep. which equates to five hours. So I get three movies, basically. Right. And then I get a second season in October. Yeah. I never thought I was going to make past the first season. <laughs> right. Because, one, it's too... It's, it's too silly. It's too silly. It's, it's too on the nose for there, e- Evil Dead fans. Is there an audience out there who cares? Like, yeah. And no, obviously there is. And now they're doing these things like Ash for President that are just ridiculous. Yeah, that was funny. That was pretty good. And I, I can't believe I live in this world, <laughs> is all I can say. Yeah. Um, so, But I'm happy. And uh, the only bummer is, is the special features aren't that great on it. So it makes oh, me shoot. think that there's going to be they're gonna a double special dip edition. Great. But, like, the cover's really cool. Yeah. It's like this gold hologram. Oh, that cool. uh, looks way better than the... I'm glad I got that instead of the metal pack. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I watched this week. I hate metal packs. They feel so cheap. Right. Like, I love the Steelbook, but... I know. I'm so torn. I have a Top Gun metal pack I think looks really cool. Yeah. But the Steelbook for the 30th anniversary is literally just Maverick walking and holding his helmet with the American flag as, like, the, oh. the background. I'm like, ugh, that's so awesome. No special features are new. No. It's just the Steelbook. Yep. And I've it's, bu- it's probably the exact same disc. I'm sure it is. It's yeah. just been... You know, repackaged. Yep. And if I do it, it'd be the fourth time I bought in Top Gun on Blu-ray. <laughs> because I bought it when it was bare bones. And then they yeah. had, like, whatever edition come out. Right. And then, oh, I think it was 30th, maybe. And sure. then I was like, no, it had been the 25th. Because the, the American flag is the 30th. And yeah. then they had the metal pack one. So I'm like, oh, sweet, I'll get the metal pack. And now I'm like, eh, now I want the American flag one. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe I'll be giving away a Top Gun metal pack. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you watch this week, James? Uh, just a couple of things. Um, let me see. Let me get them in order in my head really quick. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to start off with, um, similar to your watching movies that I own but have not watched, uh, I, I think I spoke two weeks ago about the fact that I own a bunch of Charlie Chaplin movies mm-hmm. that I hadn't watched. So I, this week, finally got around and watched City Lights. Nice. Uh, which is one of his later movies. Um, it's a... Uh, is it, it a it silent was, film? Yes. So it was released two or three years after, I think two years after The Jazz Singer. Um, so he, and, and he spent basically like two years making it because uh, he was... An insane person. And I heard that's kind of his mo, though. He uh, well, he, had, he takes he had, a lot of time to make films. Yeah, he had his own studio, and he was he was very much a perfectionist, which is why his movies are visually so good. Um, for example, there's well, let me explain the story really quick, which is that he stop stop, stop. no stop, stop no what's Donald doing? I don't know uh, what he's on right I have now. No idea. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know he loves Mickey pizza. and stuff, but right there was there was crack in the pizza. Probably, geez. Um, so uh, City Lights tells the story of uh, he plays the tramp, um, and the tramp one day is um, is walking along, and he he's like dodging. He's crossing the street, but he crosses the street by like dodging between two cars, and then he he climbs into one, he climbs into a car, and then gets out the other side. Um, and he's on the sidewalk. And when he does that, um, sitting on this on the other side of the sidewalk is this blind woman selling flowers. And there you ha- they have this uh, like he he falls in love with her, but she thinks be- I mean she's blind, but she thinks that he's rich because she heard him get out of a car. Mm. Um, and that that mistake, you know, pours forward through the whole rest of the movie. He ends up befriending this this. Uh, they in the credits of the, at the beginning they call him an eccentric millionaire. What he is is an alcoholic millionaire um, who you are silly. He the uh, when the millionaire is drunk he becomes friends with the tramp 
and they like they throw parties and they're best friends and the he gives the tramp his car for a while uh, but every time that the that the millionaire gets gets sober, he completely forgets who the tramp is, uh, which sometimes happens in the flash of an instant, right? Like he just like all of a sudden is sober, um, and uh, and so there's all these really great sketches throughout the movie. Um, it's really well put together. But for example, to what we were talking about before, that scene where um, they didn't necessarily have it scripted out. Like he kind of knew what the he he knew that the whole movie hinged on this. This romance starting from this um, from this un- misunderstanding, um, but he didn't really know how to make it work visually, and so it took them something like a month or two months. <laughs> Hi, Kellen. Uh, of filming the exact same scene in order to get it to be effective, right? Because when you're telling the story without any words, yeah, he's gotta make you understand, like, oh, she thinks, and you also don't know, don't really realize that she's blind right away either. Um, so he, they've got to, he's got to communicate what's really going on. Um, so I, I thought it was really fantastic. And I think that's why Charlie Chaplin's such a great performer. Yeah. Is because, like I said, uh, when I watched The Kid, is there's a moment where there's no title cards, yeah. but you know that he, the actors ask him what the sex of the boy is. Mm-hmm. And so this the way he acts physically. Right. He's, you know, puts up his fingers like, one second, and he runs upstairs and then he comes back down, and you read his mouth. And he says, "His name's Joe," and I mean, you just—it's right. pretty amazing that they're able to do that. Yeah, and you can see why he's an actor that's transcended time. Yeah, because he is—I think he's incredibly gifted. And and the movie is like—it's still really funny. I mean, yeah. you you're you're watching it, and it it has the the sensibility of a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the some of the moments are. Really well put together. My roommate, oh, yeah. my roommate walked in at uh, one point uh, when he during this skit that you know he hadn't been watching the whole movie, but uh, there's this moment where he's at the rich man's house and they're having a party for him, and he accidentally swallows a whistle, and every time he hiccups, there's a whistle sound, like this little penny whistle sound, and and it goes on for a while, and and he's oh, and there's a musician who's trying to play that he keeps interrupting with his hiccups, and then he goes outside and he hiccups. And like a taxi driver pulls up, <laughs> and you're like, and my, I'm sitting there and watching like my roommate laugh at this scene. And I'm like, holy shit, this movie's a hundred years old. Like, it's not really, but it's close. Close. It's pretty close. Um, and and the, 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 that still plays with no dialogue, right? Just uh, and then and then after that, like the the shot changes for a second, and I'm like, oh, holy God. shit, there's a there's gonna be a bunch of dogs. And and sure enough, a whole crowd of dogs runs around, and then he goes back into the party, and now he's surrounded by... Now he's back where he was, where he was getting embarrassed by, because he was interrupting the musician, except that now the party's also being ruined by a pack of dogs, <laughs> right? Like, it's such a really great little compact scene that you could take out of the context... The same thing is true, there's a, there's a boxing match in the movie as well, that you can take out of the context of the movie as a whole, and it's just a wonderful little skit. Um, which is, it's a brilliant boxing match. He keeps uh, he keeps he keeps uh the he keeps moving around to keep the the referee between him and his opponent, and then he just keeps like sucker punching his opponent to try and beat him. Uh, like it, it's and it's these super long choreographed shots. I mean, mm-hmm. it's impressive in the way that Creed was impressive. Uh, in fact, probably doubly so. Um, it's just a really fantastic movie. Nice, uh, and the ending is really sweet. Um, apparently, at the time, you could cure blindness, so that's a thing. 
Uh, spoilers, but anyway, I, I think it's totally worth checking out. the The Criterion is pretty good. There's a uh, there's two decently long featurettes about about that movie that are more about sort of the history and the importance of it. Um, one of which is is pretty much thirty minutes of Peter Lord from Ardman Studios yeah. talking about how important he was. Uh, char- the, the, specifically, this this Chaplin movie is. Um, and one cool thing I learned was that so there's a scene at the beginning when they're there's a there's a, a statue being unveiled and and uh, and the statue like there's all these people talking and giving speeches in this giant town like courtyard uh, with like a giant courthouse behind them and and when and when the statue gets the curtain lift off a uh, lift off of it like the tramp is sitting there in the statue like he slept there last night and and funny things happen but what I learned was that. Um, because at this point he was so famous he couldn't go film stuff like that in public. So hmm. he uh, he built this the the set like this whole town square, but he only built it up to like the third floor. Um, but he didn't what you would expect is like oh okay so he he just put the camera in places where you couldn't see the tops of buildings. No, what he had them do was he had them build miniatures of the tops of the building and hold them right in front of the camera so that they lined up perfectly in the wow. shot. So and they they showed a section uh, a quick shot of like the miniature being lowered in front of this thing and it's seamless. Mm-hmm. I, it's unbelievable to suddenly realize that like what you're looking at is is a real set and then a miniature setting on top of it and that it works so well. I mean the camera never moves so that's why it works so well. Uh, but still, it's just a, a piece of art that you yeah. you don't even realize how brilliant the thing is when you first watch it. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. I think the Criterion the, the Criterion looks gorgeous. Yeah, uh, as a black and white movie, it's restored to near what seems like near perfection. Um, I'd love to know like what condition it was in when they first got it, but yeah, I'm it, sure it wasn't great. It, it's so interesting when they do that too. And uh, you know, the cool thing about Criterion, I, what I love about their collection is their special features aren't fluff. They're no. usually pre- even if they're like ten fifteen minutes, they're pretty in depth of what. Yeah. Uh, they're about yeah and very specific to the movie yeah. and all of that yeah it's a, it was a really cool blu-ray um so the other thing uh that i'll just talk about quickly is i i rewatched 500 days of summer this week which has in real nerds history a particular importance um because that movie was my number one movie of 2009 which is a top 10 list that is a bit nefarious in in real nerds history because that's <laughs> the one where i put avatar way too high um, I had up in the air at number two when, in fact, if I redid that list today, which it'll be some some years before we get around to 2009, if I redid the list today, it would probably be up in the air and then Brothers Bloom, uh, and then probably number 10 would be Avatar. Uh, but after rewatching 500 Days of Summer, I would say this movie would still be at least number three and would be in contention for, for number one again. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I... I wanted to watch it because it, it had just been on my mind a little bit, and I thought, like, well, you know, I, I think it had done to me what I think it's done to probably most people, which is I remember it as being a a romance movie. Kellen, was that you? What? Did you hear that fart? No. <laughs> uh, I was talking too much. Uh, I, I never hear anybody else when I'm talking. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I, I remember it as just being a romance movie, and I forgot that the reason why that movie is brilliant is because it's super not that. It's actually a movie about perception and the way that our perception changes as we mature as mm-hmm. just people, right? Um, yes, it's, it's done in the, in the structure of a, of a romance story, um, but what it's really about is the way that when we haven't really grown up enough, we, we don't see the reality around us. And, and the way that that movie is shot and the way that he 
that that Mark Webb, uh, who you have to love because he did Spider Man, um, who you're you're obligated to no. Um, the the way that Mark Webb shoots that movie and and gets performances out of those actors where he can show you scenes early on in the movie and then and then return to the same shots later in the film, but either let it play a little more or show the scene right before it to completely recontextualize the scene so that what before was this sort of loving glance at each other actually becomes this like apathetic stare. Um, and the fact that he was able to like get those performances out of those actors and then utilize it properly. Um, and yeah, it's look, it's got all kinds of like manic pixie dream girl shit in it. And, and it's, it's super indie and there's, there's um, there's the kind of stuff that a first time feature film director is gonna do like that, that's ballsy and weird uh, like having a scene where he he splits this the the frame in the middle and shows you what really happens and then shows you ten seconds faster what he was expecting the night to go through um, and yeah it's like that's big and flashy and and whatever but the truth is like. That's how many of us actually experience some of our lives, especially when you're in your mid twenties, um, like and I am. And your Twitter pated, and you're t- sure, um, and you know the that that actually rings very true. Uh, I would never want another movie to ever do it again. But I think the you know certainly the first time I saw it, I was like, this is really like fun and interesting and different. Um, and I think it still delivers really well. I think that the the story that they're telling is actually a very interesting and mature story um but it doesn't necessarily come off that way or get remembered that way because it's telling a story about really immature things Mm -hmm. and people behaving in really immature ways and so if you if you don't revisit the movie or you don't realize that that's what it's actually doing you might just remember it as this movie about a guy who falls in love with a girl and is very like lovesick for her they break up, and then at the end he meets another girl because it's all going to be okay. And that's so fucking not what the movie mm-hmm. is, like, to the nth degree. It's way smarter than that. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I think it's really fantastic, and I was, I was really glad that I, that I revisited it. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, very last thing that I saw was I, I decided, after my parents went and saw Ben-Hur, um, I was like, okay, look, this movie is getting really poor reviews, uh, and it, I don't know why it's been made, but uh, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and go give this thing a shot. Um, so uh, I'll really quickly do that. Ben-Hur is the story of... Uh, huh? <laughs> Drew, well, I, honestly, I bet most people have never seen the original Ben-Hur. Have you, think? You, have you seen the original Ben-Hur? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I've fallen asleep to it many times. <laughs> so... Uh, it tells the story of Judah Ben-Hur, who is a prince of Jerusalem uh, during the Roman occupation. And he is a very, like, peace-loving guy. Um, and long story short, he has this... Uh, his Very or- long. Uh, his, or, well, the original is longer than the new one. Um, he has this, uh, this sort of adopted brother who's a Roman. Um, and they have a bit of a fall. They have a falling out. His brother leaves for some time. He comes back. Um, and ends up having really turned against him because there's all of this uprising happening uh, in Jerusalem. And so the Romans are really, like, putting the hammer down and, and killing a bunch of Jews. And they end up, uh, basically his, his half, or his, you know, his adopted brother ends up giving the orders to have his mother and sister crucified. Meanwhile, he gets sent to the galleys. And he spends, like, mm-hmm. eight years in the galleys. The ship wrecks. And he 
finds his way back so that he can seek revenge on his 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 brother, um, which is a very you know uh, well trod story. Uh, the thing that is particularly memorable about the original is the chariot race uh, because it was that it was one of those you know it was one of the epics that was made after they uh, the implementation of like super wide cinemascope. Um, when they wanted to make movies like Lawrence of Arabia and have just these amazing shots in film. And so you've got this chariot race that, A, is just an amazing action scene. Oh, yeah. um, but also they, it's, it's these chariots that are being pulled by four horses. And it was just amazing at the time. And it's honestly, I watched the scene on my phone after I saw this one. It's still amazing because the, you've got, when they're racing each other, you've got these like this shot that's just eight horses wide, and then these dudes in the background fighting each other on these chariots. And so, just to see like the scope of that shot is amazing. If if it were a normal, if it was in the the um, the the older square uh, uh, frame that had come before that, um, and you would have only had two horses, it just wouldn't have been as cool. Um, so. They make this remake that, honestly, like, whoever greenlit this movie should be fired because the reason why the movie is not doing well isn't really because it's a terrible movie. It's because no one in 2016 gives a shit about Ben-Hur, and they didn't market it necessarily in a way. It doesn't star anybody particularly famous. Um, They didn't market it in a way. Isn't Morgan Freeman in it? Morgan Freeman's in it, but Morgan Freeman's in a lot of movies that people don't see. (laughs) And a lot of those movies are filmed by Tamur Bekmenvatov, the crazy Russian dude who... Honestly, I, I, and mistakenly so, because my, my, my folks had a really fun time with this movie, I told my folks not to see it, because I was like, if Timur Bekmenvatov is making this movie, there's going to be some really crazy Russian shit in this movie that ruins good action scenes and is, like, over-the-top and stupid, you know? Um, and the truth is, he's very controlled. Is he's pretty um, plays it straight? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think that there's... There's a couple of, like, shots where he integrates some CG and, uh, like, into the chariot race and stuff like that, where... It, it, it's to me distracting, but to most people, it's probably not bad. Um, but I, I think they do a really good job. For the most part, the performances are, are good. Um, in fact, I would say really good. Um, the uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think for the most part, the movie is is decent. It's not great. It the 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 biggest things that it does wrong. One of which is. It convinced me that a remake of of Ben Hur would be amazing if done well. Um, well. Isn't this like the fourth or fifth time they've remade Ben Hur, though? I think so because I know. Well, there's the TV show of a couple years ago that I never watched. The and miniseries then before the 1955 uh, one. There was one before that too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, huh. Um, that I didn't know. Uh, what I did find out was that my dad grew up in the town where the book was written, hmm. which I think is part of why my folks were excited to go see it. Um, because they've got like everything, everything in Crawfordsville, Indiana is named after like Ben Hur this and Ben Hur that. And <laughs> like the, 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 uh, I think like the, even though Athens has nothing to do with it, like the, the, the high school team is like the Athenians and shit like that. You know, there's just a lot of that. Stuff. That's awesome. Like nickname though. The yeah. Athenians. Um, anyway, the, the, the big problem that I have with this movie is that, so the thing I've left out is that the, the end of Ben Hur is, that at the same time, like Jesus keeps coming in and out of the story and trying to teach. In the original, mo- in the in the Charlton Heston movie, um, he shows up basically once, uh, but the effect is still to try and teach Ben Hur, like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Um, when he comes back to to get his revenge, uh, his wife is still alive, and she's telling him, like, dude, I'm still alive. You've got me. Mm-hmm. 
why don't we just live our lives and you don't spend the, the <laughs> next six months of your life learning how to chariot race so you can kill your brother? Why don't you just not do that? That sounds like a bad idea. But, but he's like, no, I, I have to do that. Like, he took everything from me. I mean, except for you, but he took everything from me. Um, I spent five years in the galleys rowing, for God's sake. Like, come a on. A man without pride is not a man at all. Right. I, I don't even know if that's in there. But I have no idea, but it sounds cool. I know. I even did it in a cool accent. That line of dialogue, honestly, is better than the conversations that happen at the end of this movie. Look how, look how awesome I am. You're I even really did good. it like in a cool accent. It was great. That was off the top of my head. It was great. I have no idea where I got it from. It was fine. <laughs> um, but so my point is, you know, by the end of this movie, Ben-Hur needs to be Darth Vader. Like, <laughs> he needs to be so filled with hate that, like, and, and he has reasons to be. His, his wife, spoilers for this movie, but it's Ben-Hur. Um, his, his, his wife and mother turns out one of the guards had actually saved them from being crucified but he sent them to a place where they got leprosy so that's really bad too um, so he's got really good reasons to be furious and he deserves to have some amazing lines of dialogue and some great scenes where confronted by what his wife is saying he is so blinded by his hate that he says to her like, he needs some good Anakin Skywalker revenge of the <laughs> Sith like, just shit. He needs to kill some younglings. Like, <laughs> you need him to really be t- terrible because the actual climax of this movie is that after that happens, a- after he goes and he kills his brother in the arena, he needs to go watch Jesus be crucified, having had these interactions with Jesus where he knows, like, wait, this guy was really good. I don't understand why this is happening. And then he has this redemption moment where he's like, shit. I've done all of this just to kill my own brother, um, and and he has to like have this redeeming moment, which I think is a really great story. Whether whether you believe the religion or not, it that's not what's important here. As a character beat, the story is about him finding redemption and realizing that the thing he's been seeking has actually stolen so much from him mm-hmm. that that it stole. Not only has it potentially stolen his wife from him, but it also stole. The, the redemption he could have had with his brother. Um, and then, I, I don't want to go too much further than that, but other things happen after that. Um, but the problem is that turn doesn't work if I just feel like you're pushing him to do this because that's the, what the, the plot demands. Um, and so that's really where this movie actually ends up falling apart. I, I will say, there's some production values early on that are a little bit rough, but honestly, this is a big epic movie. So even though this is a $100 million movie, or the budget was $100 million, uh, I, I, I don't think they quite had enough budget to do everything. So there are times when the CG's a little rough and stuff like that. Um, but I, I don't think it's the worst. Again, I don't even know that I would recommend anybody see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like it's not a complete piece of trash. Um, again, it, what it did was make me feel like, oh, man, I'd, I'd really like to see an awesome version of Ben-Hur, which probably means I need to go watch... Charlton Heston's been hurt. You probably do. Because, um, man, that chariot race, that's the other thing, is this chariot race, not anywhere near as cool. Oh, partially because in, in Charlton Heston's been her at the end, um, uh, his brother, whose name I can't remember, so I'll call him a dickface. So <laughs> he's, he's racing against dickface, and dickface like, takes out a whip and starts hitting him with it, and Charlton Heston grabs the thing, gets the whip around his arm, and then has just basically the handle and is beating his brother. And at this point, like, the chariots have smashed together, so they're stuck together. And he starts beating his brother with the, with the handle of the whip, knocks his brother off the chariot as the chariots break apart. And his, his brother is 
drug behind the chariot and trampled by horses. He directly kills his brother. In the remake, his brother is fighting him, uh, knocks him down in his own chariot, and is about to like stomp on his face and knock him off the chariot. And at that point, the chariots rattle and his brother falls off. Mm. So the result is that his brother... His brother's hatred for him is actually the reason why he dies. Oh man! Which, right? Like it's it's a it's a Han shot first moment, right? Like if the core of this movie is I, about redeeming this character from from this revenge plot that he's on, you fuck it up by having him not actively kill his brother. And I understand like how that could that mistake could be made by like an action guy who's just like, well, I just want to make a cool action scene. But that is a a, a pivotal character. It's a moment. character moment, right? And th- you. Th- I think that might play into what people are about now, where right. um, the heroes make choices that it, it's it's the whole um, Spider-Man cartoon thing, yes. where you don't want Spider-Man to hit somebody. The villains have to beat themselves because, right? Which is is antithetical to what actual characters and heroes are. Yeah, like making that choice is actually what makes heroes. It's not, hey, I narrowly avoided... Right, like, Indiana Jones is, most of the time, not actually a great hero. The moments where he's a good hero are the moments where he's actually, like, where he, out of character, is selfless. He has one of those moments in, in Raiders, and it's the moment with the rocket launcher. And, you know, to me, I think Indiana Jones... I know Temple of Doom isn't a lot of people's favorite. Right. But he has the the moment... <laughs> oh, I, I, I just want to hug you. Um, but he has a moment. It was literally the first thing I thought of. Yeah, I, I was like, I first thought of the bridge, and then I was like, well, I've got to figure out where it happens in Raiders. Oh, it's the fucking rocket launcher, of course. Um, but no, it's the, the of all three movies, the bridge moment is really one of the most pivotal mm-hmm. moments in who that character is. Yeah, uh, which is ironic since it's also chronologically the first of the three movies. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, so. In this case, he can't be a hero unless he makes that choice. Exactly. You know, uh, or better yet, he to say it in a different way, and I think more to the point that you were you were making before. It's not that if he makes a choice poorly, he's not a hero. Exactly. Right. It's Bec- not that if he kills his own brother, he's not redeemable. It, That's the whole yeah. story of Ben Hur. Yeah, and you know. I, I'm a sucker for that because obviously my favorite hero is Spider-Man. Right. And his choice. Exactly. That's why every time they're like, uh, we're going to retell his origin. I'm like, you can't retell his origin. As long as they right. keep it the same. Yeah. But with the Ben-Hur thing, if you, you change that one moment in the character. Right. I don't think my folks quite understood that, which I'm glad you brought this up because <laughs> I did feel like, no, it, it is. It's exactly that. It's that he he can't really be a hero uh, and 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 honestly, the the whole core of who Ben Hur is and what the story of Ben Hur is is about the fact that even though he does all these things, he can be redeemed in the end um, mm-hmm. by learning that lesson. Yep. And in learning the lesson, he actually gets gets blessed. Like his his brother ends up not really being dead, and his his the rain washes the sores off of his his wife and mother. Right? Which sure you can read it as really corny. It's fucking what happens in the story. Um, but, but the whole point is that tra- exactly that transition. because it's you for characters uh, me personally for a hero to be a hero they have to learn lessons right. yes right and I, if you don't if you make it that the you know <laughs> the villain is 
I, you know, I love Disney films, yeah. but it's also what happens to a lot of Disney villains in their early right. cartoons is, I mean, in Snow White, the, the witch kills herself. Yes. Because she tries to jam the rock and she falls off. Yeah. Or, you know, so I, I don't like those ones. I, I like when it has to be a choice and it might not be the right choice, but the hero still made the choice. <sighs> That's just who I am. I'm so excited for you to eventually see Kubo and the Two Strings because... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the most interesting villain defeats in a kid's movie I've seen in a long time. I know um, I need to. I was watching the uh, making of whatever that huge monster is. Uh, oh, yes. Like it's like uh, a, the skeleton monster? Yeah, the, or the, the skeleton. Okay. So okay, like yeah, the flaming yeah. thing. And yes. I was just sitting there watching it because obviously on Facebook I, uh, I'm i a fan of their studio. Yeah. And so they had this making of and it's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean the design of that, when you first see yeah, you've already seen it, but when you first yeah. see that moment in the in the in the movie where this giant skeleton comes out and they're looking for a sword in that scene. And the skeleton's hair is actually all these swords that have been embedded in the skull of the skeleton. Mm -hmm. You're just like, that's so cool. Like just visually so cool. Um, And I won't spoil like how they have to defeat it and what they actually are looking for, but it's such an awesome moment. Uh, Visually beautiful. Uh, So yeah. Anyway, so Ben Hur, not a terrible movie, just not a good Ben Hur, <laughs> um, but uh, honestly, I was I was impressed by my expectations were relatively low, and I was impressed by how well they pr- pulled it off. They just missed the mark, that, you know. Mm, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, that that actually makes me kind of want to see it because yeah. right away when uh, that director was in, I was like, oh man, exactly. It works for Wanted. Right. Telling the story of Ben Hur. I, li- I, I, I liked Nightwatch. I yeah. was disappointed by Daywatch, but I really liked Nightwatch. Like, I, th- it's not that I don't like Timur Bukmanvatov. He's not who I would have expected to do exactly. this. But, yeah. um, but he, I think but, he, but he knows off. how to direct action, yeah. so he's probably. Uh, so, f- funny thing, really quick, is so after I saw this movie, uh, I was at the Alamo. I actually went to an earlier showing, and I was at the Alamo, and I was like, well, fuck it. Why don't I go see Don't Breathe? So, yeah, Ryan, I did go see Don't Breathe. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Nice. <laughs> uh, if you go back, I never said I didn't at the beginning you of the podcast. You did. That I is did not, true. I did not lie. Um, but, yeah, I was like, oh, I got to gotta make sure I don't tell Ryan. So, James, should people go see Don't Breathe? Yeah, no. But, the, uh, <laughs> but not for the reasons I expected. Um, I'm actually really, really frustrated by this movie and excited to talk to you about it. The first half of this movie is awesome. I mean... First half of this movie, I was like, holy shit, like, how many horror movies are going to be on my top ten list? Because <laughs> this is awesome. It, the first half is, I've talked a, a number of times about a movie called uh, Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn. The first half of this movie is a darker version of Wait Until Dark. And I, I love that movie. Um, I even at some point was like, I'm going to have to tell my mom to see this movie. No. Like, maybe rent it. <laughs> but, you know, because there's a couple scenes early on that are yeah. pretty violent, but I was like... This is really cool and a great thriller. And then it goes places I don't like at all. Um, and, and I think it loses track of itself to some degree. So I think maybe rent it. I guess if you're a horror guy, like maybe you should check it out. I definitely think it, it builds its characters really well. I think the, act, like the performances are fantastic. Um, I think it just loses its way at one point. And so it, 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 it falls off the pedestal for me. Um, but Ryan, Ryan what, what do you think? Um. Here, here's my thing: is I think it's pretty fu- uh, fun. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I, I did like the movie a lot. Yeah. I do. I think the director Fidi Alvarez is amazing. Oh yeah. Um, there's a, there's one moment, and I'll talk about it in the review. Uh huh. Maybe I'll tease it. Um, so there's a part where the the kids are in the house, and it the camera all it does is move from each one of them. <sighs> 
continuously. Yeah. And I, there's cuts in it, but it's seamless. Yes. And it's really well done. Um, so that makes me excited for him as a director. Oh, yeah. I think the first uh, shot of the film is very haunting. Um, I think it's, yes. it sets up the tone very well. Uh, it, it feels like the opening shot of, of It Follows. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you should see If you're a horror movie fan, you should see it. Yes. If you're not, I'd say rent it. Proceed with caution. Yes. Um, if you're not a horror movie fan, I would almost say you should listen to the review because I think if you're, if you're like me and you think like, mm-hmm. oh, a cool thriller would be good, the things we say aren't going to spoil how cool, especially the first half of this movie is, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I would say like, yeah, if you're a horror movie fan, then you should see it. If you're not, but this sounds interesting, you should listen to the review so that you know what's coming because... I, I want you to know what content is in here so that you don't walk into something you, you didn't expect. Yeah, here's a trailer for Don't Breathe. Dad? It's me. I, I really fucked up. That's her guy. Is he blind? It's really fucked up to have a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Really? Fucked up. Really? Guys, honey's probably in there. Who's there? How many of you are there? Really? Like I said, he's he's definitely a director to watch. He's so cool. He, he's really great at building tension. Yeah. And I actually, I felt this movie wasn't quite as obviously balls to the walls as Evil Dead. No. But it had kind of the same pacing. Yeah. Where it spent a good 40 minutes just, hey, these are these kids who want to get out of Michigan, Detroit. Yeah. And um, one guy uh, who's the dude from Goosebumps, who my niece thinks is a cute guy. <laughs> That's Dylan the guy something. That, that's the guy that I thought was the foot-faced kid yeah. from, from uh, Hunger Games. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. Um, and so uh, Jane Levy, who is in Evil Dead. Who's so good. She's really great in this film. Uh, she they, they Basically, they want to get out of Detroit yeah. because they live in a shitty neighborhood. Her mom treats her very poorly. Her boyfriend, Money, is not a nice guy. Her name's, her name's Rocky. Is, is the girl her sister or her daughter? I never figured that part out doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they're the relationship i'm guessing maybe daughter and, and honestly it doesn't matter because she has she has a motherly relationship exactly. with the character either because either way if it's her younger sister then she knows she needs to get her out of that situation right yeah because uh, there's even this like great line where she said i forget the name of her mom's boyfriend and she says so i guess he's living with us now <laughs> right um and yeah and then her just, mom just teases her saying your lips look bad are you making money and it's so she just wants to get out yeah. and her boyfriend is the typical um, drug user. He's like, a thug. He's a thug. Yeah. Um, not 
a nice he, guy. He has lines like, that's my bitch in there. Of course I'm worried. Yeah. Right. So he, right away. And so the, the uh, I forget, the, what's the Dylan kid's character's name? Shoot. I can't believe I can't remember. Um, I don't know. Keep anyways, talking. So he's out of place in that because... His, he, he's, he's actually like a normal suburban. Yeah, like he's exactly. Just, he's just falling in with some tough kids. He's falling with tough kids, and he's in love with uh, Rocky. Yes. So he he does it because of his love for this woman, and he wants her to reciprocate the feelings. Yeah. Which is told through the first 30, 40 minutes of this film that you get that he's... Alex. Alex. So yeah. you get that he's the third will, even though he's the most important will... Because his dad owns a security company, and what these kids do is they go around and rob his clients because he has the way to get into people's houses. Yeah. He has the codes. He has their keys. Right. Um, and then... They so, s- so, in fact, like the, oh, the movie opens with a, a scene of them robbing a house. They break in, but then to cover their tracks, they throw a rock through the window before they leave because mm-hmm. then they know they're going to get away, but they also know when somebody gets there that, some, that they are going to assume, oh, exactly. this is how they got in. Because they won't assume... Well, because, yeah, if they... Th- if they didn't do that, they're like, well, how do they have the codes? And then it'd right. come back to his dad. Exactly. So, He's really smart. But, like, he knows all the rules about, like, if we steal this, if we steal more than 10,000, it's a felony. Like, mm-hmm. he knows how to play the game because he's. He's clearly doing it for her to have fun, not because he needs the money. Um, it, it's more like it's more the rush. Yeah. Um, even though they're, they want to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of where everything comes to a head. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the opening shot of this film is. Rocky, she's being dragged through the middle of the street by her hair, and it's this really An empty street. Empty street. It's this yeah. really like haunting shot where it starts really high. And you're not sure exactly what you're seeing. Yeah. As it gets closer, you see that she's being drugged by her hair through the middle of the street, and it's it's pretty great. Uh, yeah. And it, it sets a tone. Uh, they learn about a house that only one dude lives there. The whole rest of the neighborhood's abandoned. Yep. And he's sitting on a lot of money because his daughter was killed. Um. In a car accident by a wealthy family, and he took a settlement from them. They gave yeah. him a lot of money, paid him off, basically. Yep. And so they decide this is their chance to get out. And so they're going to break into his house. And what they soon find out is his house is not uh, what it appears to be. Um, but there, before it gets there, there's these great uh, tense moments. Well, I, yeah, I want to point out also that like the fact that we've spent this much time talking about like the character setups and... like all these dynamics like this this feels so out of place for this kind of a horror movie for like a, a just sort of cheap trick kind of a horror movie um i i think they do a really great job of setting up who those characters are and then building all this tension even inside the house like so as they get into the house like introducing you to these tiny little elements of hey like there's this locked door and he's got more doors on the lock more locks on the front door and stuff like that like they do a cool job of, of setting up a bunch of Chekhov's guns, yeah. sometimes even literally, mm-hmm. um, that then will pay off as things start to go wrong in the house. Yeah, I mean, it's even, really great. Even in the trailer, you find out that uh, Money, her boyfriend, it gets gets killed by the blind man. Because you soon learn that this uh, blind man isn't helpless. He's like pretty ripped and... Uh, yeah, he, like, he used to be a Marine or something like that. Yeah, what I think is fascinating about this film, too, is that the Rocky character, she's actually using both of these guys to get out. Because when her boyfriend gets murdered, she first she's scared, not because of what happened to him, because she doesn't want to make 
a sound. And then when she finds out... Like everything has suddenly become real. Yeah. And when she finds out where the safe is and that she can get into it, that's her main goal is, well, I can still get out. You know, he died. So whatever. Right. And, and right. You know, what's cool about... Which I didn't care about money either. So yeah. I was like, very fair. Yeah. But I liked Ro- Alex. Yeah. What was interesting was his... Uh, the the way that money died, the way it shot is pretty oh. intense. Yeah. Um, it's like a close-up in slow motion of his cheek exploding because he took a shot yeah, to the and it's head. Like, it's like brutal in an almost non-gory way. Yeah. Because like you see his face sort of shake, mm-hmm. but it's not like... Excuse me. It's not like you watch a whole bunch of blood or like... Exactly. You know... A CG jaw fly across the screen, you know, like something <laughs> yeah. terrible. No, it's just like, oh shit, that guy's dead now. Like yeah. that's probably what a bullet looks like, you know. And there's, you know, there's even the great shot where Alex is walking back in because he was just going to leave, but then yeah. he realized he couldn't leave Rocky behind. Right. Well, he's he, walk- he hears the gunshot. Yeah, and yeah. he walks back in, and that blind dude walks with a purpose, like right by me, kind of slides against the wall, and he just gets. He walks right by him. Oh, I think it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and those are the moments where it's it's again it's it's wait until dark. Like it's this yeah. awesome tension building, like amazing sequence of of stuff that we don't get to see that often, right? Yeah. Like it's just a really neat thing. Um, um it, it, the, the movie holds really well uh, throughout. I think uh, the, the part where I think is where it loses it a little bit is you find out that he's keeping the girl that murdered his well was responsible for the daughter the death of his daughter. Right. Which at that point by the way, while while I kind of knew okay, eventually these kids are still stealing money from this guy. Mm-hmm. Probably if you, because you're making me like these guys, eventually I've got to find out that he's kind of an asshole, right? Like and you even with the way the house is and stuff like that, you're like there's something wrong with this mm-hmm. guy. So you kind of expect like, oh okay, like when they tell that story earlier I'm like I, I bet he's got somebody locked up in the basement, mm-hmm. you know. Um so at that point I was still kind of in but then <laughs> uh yeah it, it turns out that he's impregnated her <laughs> and he's upset because he shot her because he's trying to stop these kids from stealing right. his money because they let her go mm-hmm. uh and then they're trying to escape and then there's this amazing sequence all in the dark oh they're yeah. running around these so it's it's um it started like they cut totally the black for a long time and then they bring in just enough light that you see like these silhouettes of characters. Dude, and how great is Jane Levy at being scared? Oh, she's so good. Every oh, time like she's I just just, she's so good at getting scared. It just took me back to Evil Dead. Yeah. Where she's like, there's someone in the room. Right. We got to get out of here. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. great. Um, um makes me want to watch Evil Dead. That sequence me oh me too. Um that sequence was so cool. Um and yeah, so then she gets shot. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that that's sort of when uh, ah, 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 you're gonna catch. Oh, Kellen, careful, careful. There you go. Okay, good job. Good job. Dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know the the chasing of like the the deranged dog. Um, yeah, it, it's okay. Um, it, it feels tacked on. It um, does. I, I, again, I think it, it works because I think uh, Alvarez is such a good director. He uh, he shoots it really well and. Yeah. Um, it just he makes that dog feel almost superhuman, especially yeah. like when the dog gets into the vent and is hunting her in the vent. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. this feels a little bit too much. Like the, you know, especially because what 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 Kelly, happens no. to her there? What happens to her there actually could happen without the dog. Yeah, she could she could be motivated to crawl across that space in the vent and fall mm-hmm. uh, without the dog yeah, behind her. I, I thought the most effective part actually with the dog was 
at the end where she gets out and she says, you're, you're, you're youthless. Uh, you don't have an advantage out here. And then the dog comes tearing around. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's pretty cool. That was cool. That's yes. good. Um, yeah. um, and it did feel like, like I th- it's one of those like kill your darling almost moments where for me, I think the momentum, like the pacing of the, the dog and the car sequence mm-hmm. feels a bit like, oh man, like it's one more of these beats. And like I, I, I get it. Like I need, I kind of need you to push the character forward again uh, at that point. But the sequence is also really cool. Like her finding this way to to beat the dog mm-hmm. and sh- and being locked in the car. Like that sequence is so cool that I I I'm, I wrestle with it because I'm like, it feels superfluous, but at the same time, it's it's really mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but yeah, so she gets that happens and then she gets caught again. Yeah. Uh, and, which is when we pull back to the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, too, the Alex character, he dies in kind of a shocking way. Yes. Where it's, he's just killed. But but cool, like, f- for me, uh, as not being a super horror guy, that scene really works for me. Because that, that's where our character oh, finally too. changes. That's where too. she, like, because while she didn't care about money, I think at that point she does show, I, I actually did really care about Alex um, and he's been a badass through this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, uh, I don't want to spoil that part of it, but when he shows back up again, mm-hmm. um, like it's really awesome. Uh, but that's the moment where she finally is like, "Oh, I I'm, agree. I really fucked up." And she even like, apologizes to him. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's dead, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, again, I think the movie is pretty effective. I think it's well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it's really. I I think that that the the blind man's sort of his speech while she's tied up, and then like how how far it takes the the like the not rape sequence. Yeah, um, which is technically still rape, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but but he wants you to know I I, I don't rape people. Yeah, I just uh, he still does. I just have like a a, a poultry whatever that thing is called a baster a ba- yeah a turkey baster. Uh, I will tell you in my profession if I was told by a woman that a dude well penetrated her with a baster that's still rape. Well, yes, you are not a crazy blind man who keeps women tied up in his basement. <laughs> that is true. But like that's the part of the story where I just felt like I didn't need that. Like yeah. you know, I just um because I could see him. The movie would have worked just well if she were just tied up and he were just punishing her, right? Yeah. Like he just didn't. I was kind of hoping when uh, he was really upset that you found out that was actually his daughter, and he just made up the story that she was dead, and oh. that's how he got the money. Oh, that'd be crazy, you know. And just, then maybe like he felt really bad about it, so yeah. he never spent it. But he's like, yeah, it was an easy way to make money. That would have been good. Uh, yeah, uh, like it's just where they took it. Like, yeah, adding in the like, oh, I'm really sad. I think they wanted him to be sad when she died, and then they had to figure out why, mm-hmm. you know. And so this whole thing of like, well, she was pregnant, but she's got to have been down there for what, like, five years or something like, right? Like, I don't know. Just, I don't know the timeline. Yeah, I, I don't know. Or and maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was projecting. Um, but that was the part where I was just like, I just feel like you've taken this too far mm-hmm. uh, in something that was so grounded and had these great characters. To all of a sudden have this movie um, or have that moment. I also didn't want to watch Jane Levy get raped again because yeah. I've watched her get raped before and yeah. it's not fun. I don't enjoy it. it <laughs> she, she was able not to be. Sure, yes, right. She avoids, she avoids it, but that doesn't make it more pleasant. No. Um, but uh, I want to see yeah. her more stuff. She's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing when I saw this movie coming out. I was like, oh, like why, why, why does he have to be the one to bring her back? Like, <laughs> well, I guess if you she's find so good. Work well with. Yeah. Um, I would just, uh, I mean, Micah Monroe went and showed up in other stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
She she deserves to. Yeah. She's really good in this movie. And Fidi Alvarez, I think, is amazing. Oh yeah, he'll he definitely has a career. Yeah, that's, if he, I mean, he loves horror. If he wants to do something else, he'll have one. Um, I think he de- he deserves a, a Scott Derrickson type arc. Um, oh yeah, going and doing something. Really I'm cool sure stuff. he will because the way he shoots and the thing is that movie costs I think nine million dollars. Oh yeah, it'll so do it, great. It, it made twenty six million this weekend, so right. it's already almost tripled its budget. Yeah, so. And they're fine. Even though he's making horror movies, he's always able to walk away and go like, "Yeah, I make really cool character pieces." That even though they're horror films, you know, him have and some James Wan are doing it. You know, it's yeah because this movie has uh, jump scares, but it's not the uh, typical ones. Like when the dog right. pops up, yeah, um, and and that one's kind of benign. Yeah, like that one's actually a tension building exactly. Jump scare. And that's why uh, I think James Wan he's doing Aquaman. I think he'll do really well with it. Um, yeah. I mean, he's already made big budget movies, but right. Um, if you can tell an interesting story, I think you can make it anywhere. And yeah. I think uh, Fidel Alvarez has proven that he can tell interesting stories. Right. One with a super gory film, which you wouldn't expect, and then this one where the first forty minutes is just <gasps> characters. It's just cool. It is first great. forty minutes. It's just so cool, and it's and it's fun. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like I said, horror fan, go see it. If not, rent it. Yeah. See I how you agree. feel. Um, next week we're doing Film Explosion 2006. Yeah. So I will send out a tweet as soon as we're done with this, and you know, make sure you send us send us your uh, lists. We will uh, read them on the air. Yep. Uh, 2006 is a good year, so it is. It'll be interesting to see what we pick. Um, that's it. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Well then. Bye. Real Nerds is a Nebulous Visions multimedia production. We would also like to thank Sparks Mandrill for our music. Additional music from Ben Sounds. Thank you to Alamo Drafthouse. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. And thank you for listening to the Real Nerds Podcast.